0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Joy Church. All right. Oh, come on, man. You guys are even more depressed sounding than the first service today. Everybody stayed up too late watching Endgame, huh? Is that what happened? How many of you were like at the movies this weekend? It's in a three-hour movie. Uh, No, I guess nobody here. But uh, no, I'm just kidding. Come on. How are you doing today? All right. Good to see you guys, man. I'm excited to be here today. If you don't know who I am, my name is Jake and my wife, Bethany, and I are the lead pastors here at Joy Church. And we are so blessed to get to be a part of this community, this family. This is the, uh, just a great place to come and explore faith, to connect with Jesus and to meet some awesome people in the process. And uh, I am not one of the most awesome people here. I just know how to talk. Um, But there are some very amazing people here. And sometimes I try to rise to their their occasion, rise to that level. But uh, I am so happy that you're here. And one of the things I know is that you're not here by accident, that God brought you to this place. Maybe you were like trying to get into a showing of Endgame and accidentally came (laughs) in here. But uh, you're not here by accident. God wants to do something unique and special in your life. You know, as we were singing that last song, I was just thinking about the fact that as a Christian... The end of the story, when you're following Jesus, is not death in the grave, but it's like what we celebrated last week on Easter, that he is risen. And, and when we're in Christ, we are risen too. And so our portion is life. Our portion is victory. Our portion is hope. Maybe you came in here today and you're a little bit down, kind of like life has been slapping you back and forth and things are, are bad. And I just believe today is going to be a turnaround and a breakthrough for you, that as you connect with what God speaks to you and what God wants to do in your heart, that it's going to be a turn for you. And so I'm excited that today is going to be that day for some people in here, hopefully for everybody. One of the things that I encourage you to do when you come to church on Sunday is walk in the door expecting that you're going to have an encounter with God because expectation moves the needle in almost every situation, right? Like when your expectation is set, hey, I'm going to meet with God. Hey, when I, I'm going to come in. And I'm going to encounter him and he's going to speak to me in those moments is when it happens, Right? And, uh, and so I'm excited about that. I want to encourage you to come in with paradigm, w- w- shifting your paradigm, come in with expectation. I was jumping the gun a little bit because we're going to talk about paradigms. So we're going to talk about paradigm shifts as we jump into this new series called God Goggles. Now, that's one of those hard ones to say. Try to say it 10 times fast. God Goggles, God Goggles, God Goggles, God Goggles, God Goggles, God Goggles. I'm done. Peter Piper picked up, pick up, yeah, whatever. I don't care what Peter picked or piped. We're not worried about it, but God goggles is kind of hard to say. But what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks is exploring what it would be like to see through God's eyes, to see ourselves through God's eyes, to see other people, and to see the world around us and what that would look like for us and what a life-changing thing it would be if we could put on God goggles and see through God's eyes. Now, as we get started in this series, I want to talk about the idea of a paradigm shift. How many of you are familiar with this term, paradigm shift? And have you ever seen those pictures? Like for me, my first interaction with a paradigm shift was, I think, Dr. Stephen Covey's book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He talks about paradigm shift. And there's a picture in the book of uh, what to me looks like an old woman. And then as you sort of stare at it longer, all of a sudden you see it flips. And now you see a young woman and you're like, ah! And it's the exact same ink on the paper. No, there was no magic trick. It's just about the way that we perceive reality, right? So some people as they see this picture are going to see the old woman some are going to see the young woman and then you can flip your paradigm and see it differently. And so that's the idea of a paradigm shift. This happens not just in with images or things like that, it happens in life. Like for me the greatest paradigm shift I ever had, one of them was when I saw my wife Bethany before we were married. So we knew each other for a couple of years before we got married, before we ever started dating. And she, when she walked into the room, my dad says, hey, check out the new girl. Cause this was at our Bible college. He's like, hey, check out the new girl. What do you think? And I'm like, ah, yeah, it's cute, I guess, you know, but I don't know, idiot, right? Like, <laughs> hey, there she is. All right. <laughs> he said, hey, what do you think of the new girl? And I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I don't know, dad, I guess, whatever. And I thought she was cute, but I didn't see her. Right. And I was kind of intimidated by her cause she's smarter, cooler, funnier, better in every way right? Which is what you want. And uh, anyways, um, but I didn't see her. And then one day we were working together at the church. We, we worked in the same uh, offices or the same place. And one day, even though I saw her every day, I saw her. You hear what I'm talking about? I saw her and I was like, okay, now I'm thinking differently than I was just the day before. Like it shifted. Same person, she didn't change her hair. She didn't wear different makeup. She didn't get like, you know, love a number nine and spray it on or anything like that, <laughs> that I know of. Um, but all of a sudden it was like, okay, it changed for me. It's a paradigm shift, right? Now today I want to, as we get into this message, I want to just warn you guys, the next thing I'm going to say is actually kind of dangerous and, and probably could result in a church split. So <laughs> don't laugh. It's very divisive. Seriously, like I just wanted to warn everybody. Okay, the next part of this is provocative and dangerous. You might be offended by the person sitting next to you or to your right. How many of you remember the dress? Anybody remember the dress? Go ahead and put the dress up here. Okay. That is the dress. This is a viral sensation. I'm going to tell you, tell you the history of this. But now, myself and other sane, rational, godly, good, moral, upstanding people who smell well and dress nicely, we see... I see a white dress with gold lace. Raise your hand if you see a white dress with gold lace. Come on! Yeah! White dress, gold lace. Okay, put your hands down. Apparently, some other people see a blue dress with black lace. Raise your hand if you're a blue dress with black lace. Oh, my gosh! Did you know that there were unclean people among us? <laughs> what are you looking at? Okay, raise your hand again if you see a white dress with gold lace. Clearly, what, it, what is depicted here? Now, if you see a blue dress with black lace, raise your hands. Look around the room. We are divided. We are, this is, the dress is one of the most polarizing things. The dress is like on par with the great conflicts of the world. The Trojan War, World War II, you know, the Civil War, Roman Carthage. Like, we are Crips and Bloods. Like, we're, we're on opposite sides of this. Now, what's crazy is they really do see blue. They really see blue. Raise your hand again. You see blue. Look at this. Look around. Look around. Look. Insane. And, and those of you that see blue, you got to understand when I look at this, I see a white dress with gold lace. And it's clear as day. Now, what's crazy about this is we're all looking at the exact same thing. We are not pulling any tricks. There is no movie magic here. Even if we wanted to do something like that, the movie theater won't let us. So we— This is what, you're just seeing a picture from the internet of the dress. Now, this is crazy because we are seeing the exact same thing in the same place, in the same time, and yet we're all seeing something very different. Some of us seeing it one way, some of us seeing another. Let me give you some backdrop on this. This actually comes from Scotland, the origin of the dress. How how many of you want to hear the origin story? Where does the dress come from? So, like all great conflicts, it it happens in Scotland first, (laughs) Freedom! About a week before the wedding of of couple Grace and Keir Johnson of Collins, A, Scotland, the bride's mother, Cecilia Bleasdale, which is the most Scottish name I've ever heard, took a photograph of a dress she planned to wear, this one, and sent it to her daughter. After disagreements, the very first split of the dress. Over the perceived color of the dress in the photograph, the bride posted the image on Facebook, and her friends also disagreed, some people seeing it as white, some people seeing it as blue. For a week, the debate became well-known in this small island community of Collinsay. Now, on the day of the wedding, Caitlin McNeil, this is a friend of the bride and groom, she's a member of this band. They were going to perform at the wedding. Even after they saw, sorry, white and gold people like me, even after she saw that the dress was obviously blue and black in real life, the musicians remained preoccupied by the photograph. They said they almost failed to make it on stage because they were caught up just discussing the dress. And then, few days later, as this debate is raging on in this small Scottish village, tearing apart uh, husbands and wives, fathers and, and mothers from children, as ripping, ripping the very fabric of society to shreds, the woman decides to take it global, right? How many of you are glad for this? So that we can all argue over something like this. And she puts, posted on Tumblr. The lady, Kate Holderness, who ran the Tumblr page for the Buzzfeed, uh, at BuzzFeed at the site's New York offices, saw this message, and this lady asking her for help to resolve this dispute, And she was like, ah, it's not that big of a deal. But then when she checked it, again, at the end of her workday, she saw that it had received about 5,000 notes, which she was like, this is going insanely viral. And she had no idea. This guy, Tom Christ, Tumblr's director of data, said at at its peak, the page was getting 14,000 views a second or 840,000 views a minute, well over the normal rates for content on the site. But by later that night, that number had increased tenfold. So this didn't just go viral, it was like incredibly viral, really going big. Uh, They started to show pictures to the other people on the team, and they started arguing about the dress among themselves. And after creating a single poll for users of the site, this person, Lady Kate, she leaves her, her work, and she takes the subway back to her Brooklyn home. It says, when she got off the train and checked her phone, it was overwhelmed by the messages on various sites. I couldn't open Twitter because it kept crashing. I thought somebody had died maybe. I didn't know what was going on. Later in the evening, the page set a new record at BuzzFeed for concurrent visitors, which would reach 673,000 at its peak. So at one moment in time, 673,000 people at once looking at this picture. The viral image became a worldwide internet meme, internet meme across social media. On Twitter, users created the hashtags, hashtag white and gold, hashtag blue and black, and hashtag dressgate, and hashtag Pastor Jake is so handsome. Oh, sorry, that wasn't in there to discuss their opinions on what the color of the dress was and theories surrounding their arguments. The number of tweets about the dress increased throughout the night at 6.36 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. When the first increase in number of tweets about the dress occurred, there were 5,000 tweets per minute using the hashtag the dress, increasing to 11,000 tweets per minute with the hashtag by 8.31 p.m. This photo also attracted discussion relating to the triviality of the matter as a whole. How many of you are glad there's always people willing to tell us the rest of us that we're being silly and we need to stop worrying about it? Uh, The Washington Post described the dispute as the drama that divided a planet. Some articles humorously suggested that the dress could prompt an existential crisis over the nature of sight and reality or that the debate could harm interpersonal relationships. Just like today, cutting us in half here. Others examined why people were making such a big deal over such a seemingly trivial matter. Now, let me show you the real dress. Oh, there it is. No, that's not it. I saw blue, I think. Wow. This is the real dress. So I'm sorry, white and gold people, those of you that are with me on this side of the debate, this is actually the real dress. And so those of you that see blue and black, you are... right. You were right. The dress is blue and black. This is the actual dress. Now go back to the other one. Isn't that weird? Go back to the original picture. That is the same dress. And apparently the, the way the light works, go ahead and flip it to the next picture, the blue and black one. Same exact dress. That is the actual dress. Now, what's the big deal about this dress? Well, first of all, I'm not convinced it's actually blue and black because I've seen it with my own eyes. No, I'm kidding the big deal about this dress is that we're all seeing the exact same thing and yet we're not. We are seeing the exact same reality, the same picture, and yet we're seeing something entirely different. This is such, it's such a big, interesting deal that our brains can take things in this way. And yet this is exactly how it is between us and God, that God sees differently than us, his perspectives, his, his thoughts, his, the way that he perceives things. Even if you're looking at the exact same thing, God sees differently. The prophet Isaiah talks about this. He says in Isaiah 55, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. God is saying, hey, you see white and gold, I see blue and black. You see one way, I see it another. My thoughts are higher. He says in verse nine, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God sees and he thinks differently than you and differently than me. And you know what? Actually, this is really good news for us because how many of you are glad that when when we are a screwed up mess and nobody else sees the worth and value in us that our father in heaven still loves us and sees us as a son or a daughter worthy of redemption? How many of you are glad that though people are uh, accusing you and condemning you and criticizing you, even though they don't know your heart, they don't know your motives, that even in the midst of that, that God sees something different, that he has higher vision and a higher perspective, and that God sees higher and he thinks differently than the world around you? How many of you are glad that God sees differently than us? How many of you are glad that you're not God, right? Wouldn't the world be a mess? Any movie that's been made where a human being becomes God, like Jim Carrey, I forget what that movie's called, Evan Almighty or something, and it becomes a mess because his thoughts are higher. God is able to be God and he sees differently. And it's a good thing that we aren't there. But then on the other hand of this, sometimes it comes against the way that we see things when God says, yeah, I see that this is how you see something, but actually this is what it is. My thoughts are different than yours. And then there comes a disagreement. And that's where we're forced with a decision, isn't it? Do I lock into my understanding of of what I see or do I accept the fact that God sees and thinks differently than than I do and that his thoughts are higher and his ways are higher? You see, we have a difficulty with this in our culture because we are what is known as an autonomous culture. You see, throughout history, and you can study this, but different cultures have had different ways that they established that which was true or that which was authoritative. So, in some cultures, they, they would say basically there was a dominant perspective of like that which the gods say or what God says uh, is, is what goes. But now we are autonomous, which means each person essentially is the final judge and jury on that which is true and that which is right and how they're going to live. Now, this is all fine and good if you're living all by yourself on a desert island. But the minute you introduce another human being into the equation, it becomes mashugana. It goes haywire. It goes crazy because if I have my own definitions of right, wrong, up, down, this is what I feel, this is what I see, this is reality to me, this is what is, this is and, and I have my truth and you have your truth. You see what I'm talking about here? The minute two people come together, there's automatically going to be conflict, just like the dress, because we see things differently. And so we are an autonomous culture and we have a hard time accepting the fact that there is a being that exists in this universe who actually sees things as they really are and has a plan and a purpose and a design for each and everything in this world. And that is is kind of the basis of the Christian worldview. I mean, if you can accept the very, very beginning of the Bible, which says, in the beginning, God, and I don't care if you believe in evolution or you don't believe in evolution, it's not the question that matters. What matters is, in the beginning, what is the first fact? What is the fundamental thing about the nature of reality? And I'll go, I'll get out of the philosopher's chair here in a second, but I'm having fun. It's a nice chair. It's comfy. It's, it's nice. The nature of reality in the beginning, God. And yet we are an autonomous culture. We say, no, I I have my views, my perspectives, and it's hard for us to admit, well, maybe God's views of things that where I'm out of order, um, his way is actually right and my way is not right because his ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. I want to go into a story about seeing, but not seeing that takes place with Jesus and his disciples. In Matthew 16, we get this account. It says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? So he's doing a straw poll. Who do people say I am? And they answer him. They said, well, some people say you're John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But then Jesus asked them. And this is the important question for each and every one of us to answer. He says, yeah, but who do you say that I am? See, there's a lot of opinions about Christ, but they are inconsequential The person's opinion that matters and what you're going to do with Jesus is your opinion of him. See, the question of who is Jesus is not a question for academics. It's not a question for pastors and theologians and scholars. It's not a question for philosophers. It's a question for people. It's a question for you and I to answer. Who do you say that I am? Do I accept Jesus as Lord and God and the Savior of of my life and the person whose ways are higher and thoughts are higher and who I should follow and give my allegiance and affection to? Or do I reject him And and just say, that he's a great moral teacher. He's a philosopher, prophet, X, Y, Z, whatever, political activist. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, he said, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you're blessed, Simon, son of Jonah, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. Now, you know what's going on right here. Peter's doing like, he's totally bowing out his chest. Like, that's right. (laughs) Did you guys hear that? John, did you hear that? (laughs) Totally got the answer right. Jesus says, you did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock upon this rock. I'll build my church. All the powers of hell will not conquer it. Peter's like, yes, sweet. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. And then in verse 20 says, he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone he was the Messiah because Jesus wasn't ready to go viral yet. He wasn't ready to go public yet. He had more to do under the surface. But then in verse 21, we find out that Jesus makes a shift. Peter has now got the answer right. Yes, Jesus, you're the Messiah. You're the son of God. You're not just a guy walking around, making bread, healing people, spitting in people's eyes, healing their eyes. He's not just some miracle worker, magician type dude with cool long hair and a good surfer. Like that's not what Jesus was. Peter's like, you're the Messiah. You're the one we've been waiting for. You are, you're it. Like you're, you're the son of God. And Jesus then begins to tell them plainly, about his plans. He says it was, it, talked about it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests and teachers of religious law, the power structure, that he's going he's gonna to pick a fight with the man, okay? Uh, he says he'd be killed, but on the third day, he'd be raised from the dead. And Peter took him aside, says, but Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. And then we get the most epic rebuke sesh in the Bible. To me, it's like the best rebuke sesh right here. Jesus says that Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. Not today, Satan. <laughs> Not today, devil. He calls Peter Satan. Now this word means adversary. It means accuser. It's applied to the entity that we know as Lucifer or the devil. But, but Jesus is basically saying like, you're representing the opposite side here. What you're saying is like the wrong view. It's the, and he says, you are, see, you are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things from a merely human point of view, not from God's. Now, I want to just open this up for a second here. Why is this such a big deal that Peter is seeing things from a merely human point of view? Because the human point of view is in juxtaposition to the, the, the truth that Jesus is bringing into the story. You see, how many of you that know the theological ramifications of Jesus dying on the cross are are happy that Peter didn't get his way? Think about that for a second. We that know Christ and realize that his death and resurrection are the basis of our Christian hope— that we believe that by trusting in Jesus, we won't go into the grave and never come back, but that we, though our physical bodies will die, we'll be raised again in resurrection life and that we can experience the the presence of God and we can walk in in eternal life and walk with God even in this natural life. Everything that we believe hinges upon the reality that Jesus goes to the cross, but Peter doesn't get that because he's seeing from a human point of view. And so he says, no, Lord, Heaven forbid, that's not going to happen. And so Jesus rebukes the fire out of him. You ever been, had the fire rebuked out of you? You know, it's it's like your mom or your dad, you hear that voice. My dad, it was his eyes. He's like these crazy eyes, you know, and you just, you instantly butt clench in that moment. It's like right there because fear factor, you know what I mean? And like everything just tightens up, just paralyzed with fear. I'm working on it with my kids. I haven't quite hit that level of crazy eyes like my dad could do, but. Those of you that know my dad, you can see those eyes. You know, he can do those crazy eyes. Jesus immediately just jerks all the slack out of the rope here. He says, Peter, you're seeing from a human point of view. And then then Jesus said to his disciples, because why waste a good rebuke and not have a teaching moment? (laughs) If you're going to rebuke, you might as well have a teaching moment. He said to his disciples, if any of you, after he just Peter, you know, slapped him down. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. It says in the scriptures, another place it says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to destruction. You see, every single one of us has our own individualized, Burger King, have it your way, perspective of spirituality, morality, truth, how the world should be, how other people should treat us, how what we should be able to do and not do and get away with an X, Y, Z. We all have our own way. We all have our own agenda. We all have our own personalized sort of way that we think the world should be. Come on. Are you, am I right here? How many of you believe you're an expert on your own opinion? For me, I'm very decisive unless it comes to choosing a restaurant after church on Sunday, heaven forbid. If we're like, there's so many good restaurants here and I just, I get paralyzed with indecision, but, but the rest of the time I'm an expert in my own opinion. And you are too. Like you see the world through your eyes. You have your own way. And what Jesus is saying here is, listen, to follow me, you've got to be willing to give up your own way. And we don't like this as Americans, do we? Because we know well, this is how it should be. This is how it's meant to be. We're autonomous. Like I, I'm in, I know the right way. No, and Jesus says, you got to give up your own way. You have to take up your cross. You have to follow me. He says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will lose save it. Peter is wearing God goggles when he sees Jesus as the Messiah, but he pulls off those God goggles, and he's seeing from a human point of view when he says, you're not going to go to the cross. And Jesus says, listen, this is a show down. We are having a conflict here, and one of us is going to walk away in charge and on top, and the other one it has, it has to be defeated. Now listen, I know that, that we get kind of uncomfortable in our culture with conflict, but let me tell you something. There is, there is nothing more unhealthy than conflict that needs to happen. That doesn't. It kills marriages. It kills families. It destroys people. When there's a conflict that needs to happen, and you're like, well, "What are you talking about?" Well, let me just say this. You see, when somebody's just going their own way, but they're locked into addiction, let's say to sub, you know a substance of some kind, we celebrate the fact that people would be brave enough to do what we call a what? An intervention. Why? Because what we're saying is, you're starting a fight with this person with the express purpose of redeeming them out of what will destroy them. And yet we're very uncomfortable when somebody says, did you know God has a plan for your sexuality? And and every one of us is screwed up in our sexuality in some way. Whether you're homosexual, heterosexual, or you don't know what you are, every single one of us is messed up in the area of our sexuality. And there's a confrontation that God's word has with us about that area of our life. And you know what's happened is we've, we've, we've been good in the church about being really angry about homosexual sin, but what about the heterosexual sin that goes on? You need to read in the Bible, man. Every single one of us has stepped over the line in this area in some way or another. So I'm not singling anybody out, whether you're homosexual, heterosexual, or, or you don't know. Every one of us, there's a moment where God steps in and says, hey, it's time for us to sit down and have a conversation about your sex life. Well, no, that's my personal, that's me, that's, no, that's autonomy, autonomy. That's your way. What's God's way? You know, every one of us has a perspective, a way that we want to handle money, that we handle resources. This is my money. No, God has a plan for your money. Every one of us has a perspective on marriage and raising kids and and what you're going to do uh, in every area of life. And in every area of life, there's an intervention that is necessary where God has to come and say, I am either Lord of your life or I'm nothing to you. I'm preaching good, you guys. Come on, I'm saying right now. I don't like it. I'm preaching to myself. You know how many times God confronts me on a weekly basis? Every day I wake up aware that he's like poking at me like, Jake, wake up, time We got to talk about some stuff today. There's some things going on in your life. I don't like how you feel about the people that, that have less than you. Like the judgmental attitude that you have of the people that are living on the streets. Jake, I want to talk to you about how you think about this other race or ethnicity. Oh, no, I'm not a racist. No, but you, but the way that you talk, my wife will be like, well, let's talk about racism. Like, ah, it's a little uncomfortable for me. I'm not a racist. She's like, yeah, but you said this thing. Oh, I guess I do have a little bit of something going on in my life, my own way. Are you with me? Yeah. Yeah, but the Democrats. Yeah, but the Republicans. Oh, you support Trump. Oh, you support Hillary. Like, we all want to pick a side and act like the other side is, is wrong we're all wrong. There's only one righteous. Jesus wouldn't even let people call him righteous. They're like, Jesus, you're a good teacher. He's like, don't call me good. Only the father is good. And what was he doing? He's deflecting and saying, listen, everybody has their way, but this isn't Burger King, you guys. This is the world that God created. And there's only one way to get to the father and to be reconciled. It's It's to acknowledge the lordship and the kingship of Christ. To admit that God has a perspective in a way and that there's a confrontation. And so Jesus starts a confrontation. He correctly identifies the problem. And he says, listen, guys, to get God goggles, to, to see th- things through God's eyes, you, you're going to have to give up your own way. I want to I finish up today by giving you some handlebars for this message and make sure you get out of here to beat the other churches to the best restaurants like a good Christian. Just talk about how we get God goggles. How do we see from God's perspective? Number one, we got to get in the word. Get in the Word. You see, as a, as a culture, and I'm, I'm talking to myself, we love entertainment, and we, we don't think anything of spending a few hours a night taking in Netflix, Hulu, whatever, and yet 10 or 15 minutes in God's Word, which has the power to transform us from the inside out and, and change how we think, we, we're sort of like allergic to that. And that, and that needs to change. If you want to see through God's eyes, you're going to have to listen, get into God's Word. It says in Psalms 119, verse 105, your Word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Most of the problems that people bring to my desk, most of the problems that come to my desk as a pastor have to do with a person stubbing their toe, metaphorically or physically or literally, um, because they they don't have any light in their life to, to, to guide them. Because if they had spent the time in the word of God, being directed and led and the light on their path, they would see where their life was going into the ditch on one side or the other. And it wouldn't have happened. And so obviously I don't always say that like, well, what you should have done. That's not necessarily the most compassionate because we all go off the road, don't we? Every single one of us. But the reality is if we want to see correctly, we have to get into God's word. I want to encourage you. There's nothing that will transform your walk with Christ more than a daily discipline. Yes, I use the word discipline of, of being in the word of God. When I read the Bible, not every day is like, wow, that's amazing. It's not like that. Some days I'm like, wake up, wake up. This part's boring. I've read it 25 times, What's, you know? And I'm like, but I'm, I'm saying, I, I trust in the reality that this is God's word and that he's, he's shaping me and changing me and speaking to me through this. Number two, how do we get God goggles? We need to be filled with the spirit. Now I preached about this a long, for a long time in the first service. And so if you want to hear the real unedited full comments, you have to get a hold of that copy. I don't know which one Judah will post. But listen, we, we live in a world That is more than just time plus slime plus chance. Though we have been shaped by materialistic, naturalistic culture, and we tend to see the world that we live in as as kind of like mechanics and and, uh, the physical reality, there actually is a spiritual realm that is affecting and impacting us all the time. And just because you don't believe in it doesn't mean it's not real. Just because we don't activate it or engage with it doesn't mean it's not affecting us. And I want to tell you that as a follower of Jesus, to not be filled with the Spirit is like showing up at a gunfight with a Nerf gun. And we need to be engaged in the spirit, filled with the spirit. Jesus said to his disciples, it's good for you if I go, because if I go, then the comforter will come to you and he will lead you into all truth. Every Christian should be filled with the spirit of God. Jesus said, when the spirit comes, he's going to give you boldness to be my witnesses around the world. Listen, if you are suffering boldness as a follower of Jesus, it's not because you have ADHD or some self-diagnosed mental thing. Everybody is screwed up. Did you know that? We all have a problem. Your brain is broken, so is mine. You might have a name for what's wrong with yours, and I don't have a name for what's wrong with mine, but we're all fighting some kind of thing that makes us feel weird or crazy or not be able to function. It's called being a broken human being. But when you are filled with the Spirit, you go beyond what limits you physically. Well, I have a chemical imbalance? So do I. That's why you need a spiritual rebalance to help you walk in in the correct way in life and have the boldness to walk for Jesus in a dark place. My goodness, I could preach on this a long time. You need to be filled with the Spirit. You need to be filled with the Spirit. Listen, next Sunday, at first Sunday, you can come, and we're going to pray for you if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to do it. You need to be filled with the Spirit. The, Jesus spoke to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. He said, The Father is looking for people who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Not just, beyond, not just in the area of truth where we can understand and grab a hold of it and rationalize and with reason, but also in the area of the Spirit, because God is a Spirit Spirit. The very nature of the Christian worldview is that we believe in a God who is the creator of all things that can be seen and that are unseen, but who is himself uncreated. He is spirit. That is the nature of his being. And so by denying the reality of the spiritual world, we're literally denying the first fact that our worldview rests upon. Okay, I got back in the philosopher's chair. I'm going to step out of it again, but you need to be filled with the spirit. We need to be spirit-filled people who at a moment's notice are able to engage in the life of the kingdom of God and begin to pray for people. Jesus said, you will do greater things than I did, but most Christians can't do even a fraction of what Jesus did because they're not filled with the spirit. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells on the inside of us, and yet we don't tap it or activate it and heal the sick and cast out demons and walk with authority and speak truth into a culture that is absolutely confused about the very nature of reality. I am still preaching really good, okay. Because we're not filled with the spirit. So if you want to put on God goggles, you got to be filled with the Spirit. I'm not passionate about this. I'm just talking to you today. All right, number three, you need to be discipled. You need to get your life up under somebody who's one step ahead of you and follow them. Did you know that you're not going to die if you admit that somebody knows a little bit more about what it looks like to walk with God? And that what you should do is pursue that person and say, help me to get it. Help me to follow Jesus. Be discipled. And your growth, your personal walk, as a disciple of Jesus, is your responsibility to pursue someone to help you. If you're waiting for somebody to come along and be like, okay, get up. Today's the day to read the Bible. Now we're going to talk about what Jesus did for you and all this kind of stuff. You're going to be waiting a long time. You got to pursue it. You got to chase it down. But I encourage you, ask your joy group leader or ask a Christian that's one step ahead of you to take you through what we call the purple book. It's a it's a 12-week Bible study that's going to help you dig out the dirt and build biblical foundations and get your mind right about God's word and about seeing yourself correctly and all, and all of that that comes with it. All right, number four, and we're going to finish up here, and we're still going to beat the other churches to the best restaurants. Number four is we have to give up our own way. We've got to admit that though we see, we don't see. I saw my wife before she was my wife, but I didn't see her, and I needed a paradigm shift. I had to I had to release or let go of the way I saw things and see her for who she really was. Jesus tells us we've gotta be like a child to enter into the kingdom of God. Why do we need to be like a child? Because kids have the humility to understand that their parent sees more than they see. They're responsible. I love the fact that my kids are unaware of the global political strife and consequences and circumstances and the, the storm of this world that is hovering around them. Sometimes when I have to tell them, hey, be careful because the world's not as safe as you think it is, it actually pains me and wounds me to tell them, hey, you can't just go spend time with that person all by yourself. We don't know that person. Well, why, daddy? Why, why is that even a thing? Well, they're not aware of abuse and molestation and the evil and the, and, the, and the nastiness that floats around in this world. They're not aware of racism and all this kind of stuff. They're innocent, right? In their mindset, they're still innocent. And there's a humility that they have to trust myself and trust my wife and and believe what we tell them about the world. And Jesus said, you got to be like that with God. You got to be willing to say, God, I don't get it because I feel this way in my sexuality. God, I feel this way in the way I handle money. God, I feel this way in how I see politics. And I feel this way in... Every area of life, but you know what, Lord, um, you're my you're my Father, and I'm going to be humble and admit that I don't see what you see. That your thoughts are higher than my thoughts, and I've been. I'm going to trust in you, God, that you see me. This morning, if you're here and you're like Pastor Jake, I want to see what God sees. I want to know what God thinks about me. I I want to know how God sees the world. Pastor Jake, I want to be part of the solution, not the problem. I want to wear those God goggles that you're talking about. Here's where it starts. It starts with putting your trust in Jesus. The gospel is a very simple message. Basically, all of us are screwed up. God sent Jesus to pay for our sins and make a way for us to be reconciled with him. And all you have to do is trust and receive that. That Jesus died on the cross for you. And then you follow him. And when he wants to deal with some area of your life, you just respond and let him deal with that area of your life. There's no dog and pony show. It's not lighting a candle. You don't have to change yourself. You can't change yourself. Only God can change you. And he changes you on his timetable, not mine or anybody else's. But if you want to follow Jesus and you want to put your trust in him today, I just want to ask you to all just bow our heads and close our eyes. If that's you... Would you just raise your hand where I can see? Just say, Pastor Jake, I want Jesus. Thank you, I see that, I see that. Thank you. All over this room, that's awesome. Lots of people. Come on, this is your moment. I want to follow Jesus. Like, I don't want to do my own thing. I don't want to just go my own way. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Let's all pray together. If you raise your hand, just pray this prayer with me. The words aren't magic. There's no magic thing that makes you a Christian. You are a Christian when you decide to follow Jesus, when you call upon the Lord. But let's pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, I confess my weaknesses and my failures. I've gone my own way, but I want to go your way. I want to see what you see. I want to think like you think. I put my trust in you. And I thank you for your grace and mercy revealed to me at the cross where you gave your life for me and made a way for me to be reconciled with you. In Jesus' name, amen.